So today's conversation with Odit is all about the media landscape, how content ecosystems monetize across different lines of business. He's a digital strategy and growth guy who spent a meaningful amount of time across the world in Singapore and Australia working with fairly mature practices on really, really monetizing content via subscriptions, via advertising and via other means. So here what he's talking about is the whole journey of transformation, how investments in CDP and customer profiling will become very, very valuable for the company. So if you're a media industry professional who really wants to understand the path to transformation, to incremental ROI, to showing value to management before they commit to a large investment, here's a conversation to go to. Thank you so much for joining us, Udit. Great to be having you here. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So maybe this is a starting point, Udit, would be very helpful to understand your professional journey a little bit and you know how you've ended up, where you've ended up. So I've been in media for more than a decade now. In the last more than a decade, I've worked with publishers, I've worked with agencies, then I've worked with brands, all three sides of the table. And um, I've worked with brands like with Opia, which was founded by a Stanford uh, alumni. I worked with Hindustan Times, leading their analytics. Then worked with Condonas, where I established the digital analytics division. Uh, then worked with MediaCorp in Singapore. Then went to Australia, worked with Inkle there. And then came back to India and started working with Outlook. So I can see analytics as a bit of a recurring theme. And then there's a lot of numbers to your work stream in general. I think in my entire career, I worked at the intersection of analytics, product marketing and strategy. At this, so the point where all these three meet and you can make a, a decision which is impacting revenue, uh, any conversion which is impacting revenue, a new strategy which is impacting revenue, optimization that is impacting revenue is something that I focus on. So the guy who can make money for the brands. <laughs> I try to. <laughs> of course, I did hear a great story or a little bit of anecdote around the way revenue is scaled up for your current organization. So we'd love to understand a little bit about uh, your current play, uh, the media landscape, uh, what it means when you talk about every event that translates to revenue. Just help us understand this whole media landscape a little bit, how user engagement works, how much role content and depth and editorial side of things play. So within within the content uh, landscape, there are, um, there are a couple of revenue streams. One revenue stream is uh, through ad-based revenue. Second is subscription. Third is affiliate revenue. Fourth is branded content, brand solution, etc. So on and so forth. But these four or five are the main revenue stream for any publisher in the world. Uh, some publishers find their niche and they start focusing on subscriptions and probably a bulk of their revenue comes from subscription. For others, they start focusing on affiliate revenue and bulk of their revenue is coming from affiliate. For example, there are a lot of publishers in UK which are driving a lot of revenue through affiliate. And then some of the publishers which are national level publishers keep on focusing on uh, ad-based revenue or ad-based monetization. Mm. So from your lens, across the orgs you spend time in, uh, the dominant share of, let's say, the focus of where growth and revenue comes from, what, which of these models have been the most uh, center of attention for you? I think it's about, uh, it's a lot about time. Uh, for example, till 2015, 2016, most of the media organization were focusing primarily on ad-based revenue okay. and brand solutions. Then around 2015, media houses started focusing on ad revenue plus brand solutions. Towards the end of 2017, they started focusing on ad revenue, brand solution, plus subscription revenue. And then they started adding affiliate and other revenue. So it could be categorized into two broad areas. One is ad revenue, second is consumer revenue. Okay. Within consumer revenue, you have subscriptions, affiliate, brand solution, etc, etc. Sure. And in terms of where it stands in 2030, uh, 2023 now, and where you see this shaping in terms of uh, a mature organization, how would they look at the composition? See, one of the challenges that media organization faces in the last 10 years, the CPMs have more or less either remained constant or they have declined. Okay. So back in 2014, uh, CPMs in India were around 100 and uh, they are less than that now, 10 years okay. down the line. So that becomes a challenge. You can grow your audiences, but if CPMs don't grow year over year, you need to find a different way to monetize your content. And that's uh, where the consumer revenue comes mm. into the picture. So I believe in the next five years, consumer revenue is going to play a very big role. But the organization need to prepare for it. Sure. And you know, what would be the top two things that you think is the uh, preparation uh, steps which are still not 100% there yet? See, most of the organization, uh, we are still collecting first party data, but that first party data uh, can be further improved. And um, so what, what I have usually seen and what I've heard from other people uh, is, in any organization, you have tons and tons of data, but how do you leverage that data to create an impact on the revenue? That is always a gray area. So you can sure. have tons and tons of data, but how do you monetize it? How do you leverage it? But is that a lot of technology deployment at play or 
thinking process on how to uh, strategically transform this data into actionable components which are the missing pieces i think the first the first most important piece is strategy we have to be absolutely clear for example when we are building a new business model a new revenue stream let's say january in january when i started with affiliate revenue with outlook uh we started from uh from a clean slate uh, sure. revenue was zero there was no team no content nothing and now seven seven to nine months down the line our uh, affiliate revenue our month on month revenue are, are crossing uh, are exceeding our revenue targets every month sure. and our conversion rate is extremely high hmm. my ctrs is more than 30% wow. which is unheard of for affiliate yeah. content our conversion rates are very good and it is a revenue stream which is growing month on month and in some sense there's a secret sauce in terms of the strategy that you apply here i mean most people don't get that kind of conversion rates or click throughs so what is it that you are uh... so in terms of strategy we can't look at clicks we can't look at conversions we can't look at uh, revenue we have to understand the intent hmm. we have to uh, create an affiliate division which is solving a problem what is that problem okay in this entire value chain a user will start from discovering a need then they will discover products and services then they will evaluate that service evaluation phase is a pain it is very difficult then they will go out and buy that products and then dispose it eventually in this entire cycle there a lot of lot of players who are solving all these different or providing value at different stages let's say mm. buying it or disposing it or discovery but the evaluation phase is very difficult today if i want to buy an air purifier it is not easy i have to read so many reviews or if i have to buy something expensive let's say something up of 50000 i have to buy an oled uh, tv yeah. it is not easy to research which is the right oled tv for me okay. there's so many brands if you look at uh, if you go to the market there are more than 100 models of oled tvs sure. and then you have qled and so many other technologies yeah. so this is where affiliate comes into the picture mm-hmm. affiliate is solving that evaluation process Okay. when you are writing recommendations about what product is right so they mm-hmm. will browse through all the products and help the user make in an informed choice sure so some degree of let's say reduction of choices and curation which is aiding uh, in reducing the decision fatigue for the user and in effect that's what you are able to monetize much better because you have educated the user and now he's slightly ready to transact absolutely so the value add would be the user has already discovered or understand the technology what they have to buy hmm. we will in affiliate we will help them uh, uh make the evaluation process easier and then we send them to the right uh, let's say portal to buy that product and that's about it the consumer journey becomes simpler the consumer is happy we are happy everyone is happy and from a potential uh, let's say contribution to the overall scheme of things this whole affiliate line of business can be a fairly meaningful chunk in a steady state scheme of things absolutely and i mean in some sense you've already seeded it you've already taken it to a certain level and now it's become a let's say business as usual practice with some headroom to grow absolutely right now we are focusing on indian products and indian customers okay. uh, there's headroom for growth in us europe and different regions so we'll start curating products for different audiences across the world sure so you know uh, just alongside this uh, when we speak about the whole content at the center of everything This is affiliate, which is obviously a layer on top of what you already produce from an editorial side of things. Just give me a quick little uh, sense on how the editorial content and scaling the different verticals, the categories, the subcategories, the target personas helps with growing the traffic because overall traffic to internet has grown massively. Uh, your share of that traffic, how does it look in terms of growth there, and what are the key levers of driving traffic growth purely? So when we focus on growing traffic then we would link it to the ad revenue model okay because consumer revenue is more about optimization and conversion in traffic growth there are different levers today 80 to 90% of traffic for publishers come from google search okay there was a time back in 2017 2016 uh wherein the a huge chunk of traffic used to come from social today all that has changed after okay. all the algorithm uh, uh, algorithms hmm. across facebook etc etc has changed over the years i clearly remember back in 2017 there was uh, 2016 actually i had just joined condanas and uh, in uh, i joined in january by may uh, facebook started uh, tweaking their algorithm okay uh, and um, and our traffic started declining and the question is what can we do now Facebook algorithm. didn't want structurally traffic to go out of its platform, so they would yes. deprioritize everything that's sending traffic. Out. So that w- that is a year, uh, that is a year when around in November 
Facebook did a PR saying that now they have prioritized friends and family posts over other content. Mm. So uh, the impact of that algorithm change uh, was visible as early as May for publishers. Okay. So that's when we had to up the game. And in order to grow the traffic, we had to understand what, how to make our content relevant on the social. Sure. Or how to make it relevant for the user on the social media platform. So more social sharing uh, should happen and that's what will continue to drive traffic. One of the insights uh, uh, which I found was users have a pattern when they're consuming content on social. Okay. For example, in the morning before 12 p.m., they would read about horoscope stories. And this is primarily for females. Sure, and I was looking at Vogue content. So they would read about horoscope stories. Towards the afternoon, they would uh, explore more about beauty, makeup, etc., etc. Later half of the day, which is between 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., they would read about parties and what is happening in the city. And towards the end, which is after 8 p.m., they would read about which are the Bollywood celebs who which attended uh, what parties and what they were wearing, etc, etc. And the uh, and, and the trick is, the uh, somehow the algorithm would pick up stories which would do well in the first half an hour. Sure. So if you know that uh, horoscope content is read in the morning, and if you post horoscope content during that time, it'll pick up sure. and then Facebook algorithm back then used to push it more further. So wow. that's how we grew our traffic significantly from social, wherein all the other publishers had around 30 to 40 percent drop in traffic. We had grown our traffic significantly during that. So, very interesting lens of looking at data and insights. So, help me understand this from a user persona when you spoke about these four different timestamps of the day and four different content patterns that I can consume. Is it the same audience that's consuming different things at different times or is it different audience personas which are doing this and then you're able to map it back to how you leverage a social channel to drive traffic? This is a definitely a different audience segment. Okay. Some audience segments are are there only to read horoscope content. They would certainly be overlap, but there are more or less different audience segments sure. consuming different audience content. And in some simplest, in a simplified fashion, what is essentially happening is if I'm consuming horoscope content, I'm sharing this on Facebook and that's algorithmically because it's user shared content, it'll get whatever distribution it'll get and it'll drive traffic to you subsequently. Is that what the flow is? Um, uh, the flow would be similar to that. For example, if, if let's say between 10 to 12 horoscope stories are read the most or users are coming onto Facebook pa uh, platform to engage with horoscope stories. And if you post it at that time, within the first half an hour, it would be shown to more people. And once so they engage... Saying this is uh, you publishing that horoscope story yes. on the Facebook platform under your handle. Yes. And that will get more distribution. Yes. If, okay. you are, if you are posting it during the right time slot. Got it. So this is more about user engagement with your organic distributed content than about users sharing content. Yes, yes. Got making, it. making, making, um, uh, creating a calendar, a social media calendar, which is making the content more relevant for the user for the, when they want to consume yeah, the, right the time of the day lens on the content itself becomes Absolutely. relevant. Very interesting. So it's somewhere or the other, gaming the algorithm uh, to the extent of uh, giving them what they want, and then the algorithm right will automatically amplify that. Absolutely. Very interesting hack in some sense. But so this is where uh, organic social, I wonder in terms of uh, its, you know, willingness to send traffic outside of the platform will still be compromised and you will get a lot of engagement within Facebook. But would you also be able to send traffic back to Outlook from this? See, or, now, now all that has changed. I think after 2017, 2018, the social referral traffic started declining and today 80 to 90 percent of the traffic is coming from search. Search, you say. And search intent, a user who's coming to a website for via search is, has a very different intent sure. versus a user uh, coming from social platform. Sure. So social, on social platform, content would be discovered. So there would be a lot of content yep. and a user would engage with something, discover something and come to the website. Whereas on search, a user is looking for a very specific information. Sure. They would type and for it would be around news, it would be current happening, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Social content would be more emotionally charged. Sure. Uh, search content or search traffic would be very factual, would factual. be looking for a specific mm. information, would come to the site, consume that information, and most likely go away. But in a very simple structural fashion, if you talk about search-led traffic and factual search-led traffic, the room for differentiation would be fairly minimal, right? Because the facts are the same available to every media house. And in effect, Google will end up having a search result page where there'll be everybody competing for the same guy who is searching for something and wanting to go to one of these places. How do you differentiate? So this is where um, uh, we look into Google and we understand how does Google work. And Google uh, obviously want to create more value for the user, improve the experience. The way they are doing it is through EAT guidelines, mm -hmm. wherein they prioritize uh, uh, content which has uh, 
or content or publishers which have more experience, expertise, authority, trust, etc. Okay. So how do you build on these things? E E A T you said. Double E A T. Yes. Okay. Experience. Expertise, okay. uh, authority, authority trust. trust. Got it. And uh, so how do you build these things and how do you make the content more relevant? For example, hmm. let's say how does how will Google decide which content to rank when they have 500 content pieces Correct. on the same topic, on the same query? That's where a couple of things come into the picture. One is domain authority. So Outlook's domain authority is exceptionally high. One of sure. the best in the country. Hmm. Uh, then that gives you uh, more reach. Sure. Second is the content that you're writing. If it is hmm. well-researched content, there are a lot of areas which has very well in-depth research content, then user uh, would come to your website and the time then they spend on the website would uh, would play a big role in telling Google, okay, this is a site which has experience. The right quality. So, yeah. so really right it results in better page rank overall. Absolutely. But, you know, uh, isn't content in this world very ephemeral now? Because whatever is written today will be only useful for the next few hours, maybe a day or two. And then there'll be the more latest thing that will happen, especially in the world of facts, not in the world of opinions as much. That is very interesting. Uh, so what happens, we, uh, we always have to balance between trending and topical content. Sure. Topical content is a long tail. A story yeah. which is written today will give, keep giving you traffic hmm. for the next six months, one year. And then there are trending topics which would die out, which have a shelf life of two to three days max. Sure. And in terms of the editorial attention being paid, uh, how does it get driven? I mean... How much to spend time and attention on this versus that? So for for different sections, for different websites, it it differs a lot. Uh, for example, uh, let's say uh, uh, we usually build mill build a balance. Hmm. We have to focus on what is important for the users. Editorially, uh, what we need to cover, which are the topics which need to be uh, shared with the audience. That's there and after that we start thinking, okay, what should be the split of uh, trending, trending versus, versus topic. In very simple terms, uh, if you could help me with the overarching umbrella architecture of the Outlook group, what are the different properties, what are the different touch points for the consumers and where all do you kind of get digital traffic from? So six months back, uh, our flagship property, our main property was outlookindia.com. Now we have outlookindia.com, then we have for business, we have Outlook Business, mm -hmm. then we have Travel, Outlook Traveler. We also have Startup, focusing on startups. We have Outlook Hindi and then we have Outlook Money and we have we are launching new properties, more and more properties. And these are all completely disjoint properties or are these sections within a larger umbrella? Uh, some of them are independent properties and some of them are joint. For example, uh, um, Outlook Traveler is a new domain altogether. Whereas right now, Outlook Business is a sub is a subdomain within Outlook India. Sure. Retirement is a subdomain within Outlook India right okay. now. Retirement is something that we are focusing on right now, which is creating a community of people who can focus on retirement. Everything to do with retirement, sure. starting from planning for retirement, health uh, after getting retired, yeah. uh, assisted care, living, mm. everything mm. in that mm. So There's enough room for depth across each of these verticals, but there would also be a substantial for cross pollination in terms of people who have come in for this would also be interested in this kind of spaces. So what is the rationale behind keeping some of these in isolation versus some of them as a part of the large umbrella? So um, one of the, um, eventually we have to build all the properties and they have to be built independently of each other. Okay. And there will certainly be some cross-pollination uh, sure. pollination happening. For example, uh, a user who's coming to uh, read business content would also be interested in travel content or news content. And we can, uh, we can uh, collect first party data collect their email IDs and hmm. understand if they're interested in different newsletters. Sure. So that is where cross-pollination will happen. But at, right now, I think Outlook uh, being a very old organization, hmm. we are going through a digital transformation sure. phase at the moment where we are building our technology and we are building our data stacks, we are building our conversion optimization teams. Everything is done. Uh, a lot has changed in the last two years. Very interesting. And you know, that brings me to this whole question of when you were brought in, the mandate was to actually drive this whole technology transformation. And I'd love to double click a little bit on the experience you had with Inkle before this. I think you were talking about it offline. Uh, tell us about what Inkle did and what was your role and how this play out. So Inkle, uh, Inkle is an innovative uh, startup based out of Australia, Melbourne. And it is one of the very few companies who have a subscription first model. Hmm. They monetize content only through subscriptions. They don't have ad revenue or any other revenue. They believe content should not have ads. Okay. News should not have ads. 
journalism should be prioritized and it should be monetized through a subscription. Mm. People should pay for content. Sure, the user sensitivity of the content, centricity of the content will always be higher when it's uh, subscription. And the bar of quality will also have to be maintained much higher because that's your bread and butter. Absolutely. Sure. So, will this manifest it in, in terms of how you go about the content? Let's say creation, sure, there's a lot of editorial quality being controlled. But from a content monetization and engagement lens and selling subscription lens, free to paid, sashes, short format, long form, like three months versus one year, what was the play looking like? So, we did a lot of studies. I think when I joined Inkle, uh, it was not profitable back then. And uh, what's exciting is in just two years, we were able to turn around the company and make it profitable for the first time okay. in seven years. And how did we do it? What did we learn in these two years? And uh, how did we convert that learnings into uh, something meaningful, which mm -hmm. could uh, generate more revenue for us? And that was uh, one of the strategies that we started was uh, a modification of AA AAA strategy, which is okay. our framework which is you look at the entire journey starting from acquiring the customers to engaging, activating them, engaging them, converting them into paying members and retaining them. Okay, that's your AARRR model. Yeah, a modification of AARRR sure. model. And uh, so uh, when you look at this framework, hmm. then you start asking, okay, how do I acquire customers who are more profitable? So rather okay. than looking at, uh, let's say, CTRs or let's say, um, conversion rate, we look at customer lifetime value okay. of the users and we prioritize the channels which are uh, driving higher customer lifetime value. In then, some sense, uh, there are different channels acquiring different kinds of customers. You're not looking at pure CTR based optimization, but looking at which kind of customers have been acquired, what their lifetime value looks like. So if I were to just draw a simplified example, an Outlook traveler customer might just be more valuable to you than your normal outlook customer and that's what you'll try to optimize towards. Absolutely. Let's say if there is a, if there's a campaign which we are running which is giving us probably a very high conversion rate but those users don't end up paying for subscription. Sure. Then we don't prioritize it. We hmm. were prioritizing users probably uh, channels or campaigns which are driving probably less customers but we have a very high conversion rate. Sure. So the, the optimization ends up going slightly more deep in terms of the business metrics. Absolutely. Okay. So that's acquisition. Then activation. Uh, we realized that um, more than 60% of the customers back then, or 60% of the users who downloaded the app, uninstalled it in one day. And okay. uh, we were like, why are you uninstalling it? So we did we did interviews and mm. we studied the data. And what we learned was users were asking one important question. Content is free, news is free, why should I pay for it? And this is a paid app, let me uninstall sure. it. That Now how do we tackle this question? Mm. And they are not even asking you. You can't communicate to them. Sure. So the way we tackle the second step uh, so uh, was um, uh, we started with a welcome series. In okay. welcome series, we identified key questions which users have when they're installing a new app uh, for news. And one of the questions was why should you pay for news? Uh, okay. Why paid news is important? What is different about Inkle, etc., etc.? So all the questions which a user had while installing an app were uh, answered in that welcome series. And in order to n prevent information overload, we used to send one email every single day for the first seven so days. So welcome series is primarily on email after the app has been installed. And this is going to include the education of why should you be willing to pay for content. Absolutely. And the engagement with this content was meaningful, the, the welcome series. And what was the impact in terms of your uninstall rates? So, um... Uh, uh, so users who engage with the welcome series uh, had uh, more than two times the conversion rate compared to the wow. users who did not engage with the welcome sure. series. And what's interesting is we created a unified journey wherein the same message was sent through email, uh, through the app push notification, and there was a story in the app also. So when you install the app, mm, the first story mm, mm. would be welcome series. And what's interesting is if you read uh, welcome series, the first question in the welcome series in the app, you will not get an email. Sure. So if somebody's already engaged on one channel, you don't have to bombard them. Absolutely. But if you miss it at one place, you might as well just make sure it's reinforced for the channels. And, and this automatically helps with making sure the message is getting across. And if the message has gotten across, you're seeing the conversion rates translate into much better. Absolutely. And, and this is where the first hack, so to speak, of making sure the activation is happening properly yeah. is working out okay. You spoke about a larger framework. So yeah. I'm curious, what are the other components? And then the engagement. Now the question is, uh, we saw a lot of engagement. Um, so we wanted to understand how to grow the engagement. And one of our growth channels was newsletter. 
so uh, we had a huge database of dormant customers sure now how do we activate these customers so uh, we would send them a newsletter to activate them but they would read one story and go away sure. sometimes uh, users would read one or two stories and then go away and not come back for weeks we mm-hmm. wanted to understand what is happening that's where we started uh, understanding what content is relevant for which audience and we started okay. the usual process of segmentation mm. and sending a relevant push notification uh, optimizing uh, content um, let's say optimizing content within the app based on user segments user preferences etc that helped us boost our uh, boost our engagement you know, when you use the word segmentation uh, typically this would be based on some sort of behaviors or preferences of content consumption or how do you look at this whole world of segmentation because it can be quite complicated and potentially fragmented because like you were just mentioning the moment you slice and dice across four parameters now you suddenly have four into four into four that many segments created right and that becomes hard to action as well as hard to have a size on so what was the segmentation play here so um so this is interesting because uh, inkle was working with more than 100 premium publishers around the world we first started understanding which is a publisher which is most popular with our audience okay so is it new york times is it financial times or is it someone else uh, then we that was one day then we looked at what topic they are interested in and because we had a proprietary technology uh, to understand the content we could also understand if users are focusing on left leaning content right leaning content or something in between so we always focused on maintaining a balance balance mm. is we don't want to be serving more left leaning content or right leaning content so how do we build that balance sure. using these three to four filters and understanding the user behavior mm. we were able to improve the engagement rates all right so this would then come uh, fairly segmented from a lens of left leaning would get that this guy would get that and people will get kind of content they were gravitating towards something like so someone who's really uh, reading more of left leaning content would get something in between or something sure. more of right leaning so that they yeah. explore the entire spectrum and someone who's reading more of right leaning publishers and right leaning content then they would get content in push notification which is showing them a different point of view but isn't that a little counterintuitive because typically what a youtube is now accused of doing or a facebook is now accused of doing is treating those echo chambers where if you have a certain thought process bias it'll end up just reinforcing that by whatever exaggerated exposure is being given that is where journalism comes into the picture we have to break those echo chambers we have to break those biases we have to show the entire spectrum uh, to users and not uh, not create knowledge bubbles or echo chambers you know sometimes that would be a little uh, let's say totally it's a great stance to take but at the same time from a numeric standpoint you might end up reducing engagement because the guy wanted to see right wing content you showed him left wing content and he's bounced off or he's reducing engagement That's How do you write that balance? That's the difference between a free user versus a paid okay. user. Uh, if you're implementing the same model for free content, your users might drop. Sure. But when you're implementing this model for paid content, user is serious. They they uh, they have already started paying for news, so which means they want to explore. Uh, either they want to go deeper into the same topic, or they want to explore the different uh, spectrum. One of the very interesting feature is uh, which uh, got highlighted during this phase was. dive deeper so in dive deeper we had a functionality wherein the content could be automatically categorized uh, let's say if a user is uh, reading a left leaning story and they'll see a feature called drop down in the app, uh, sorry dive deeper, dive deeper. into the mm-hmm. app when they click on dive deeper they can see different stories from left leaning to right leaning and everything in between and mm-hmm. they can choose uh, which sure. angle uh, to read more about I mean, in some sense uh, you're being not clickbaity with the paid audience because you find them to be somewhat more mature and somewhat more let's say sophisticated in their expectation absolutely us, and that is automatically giving them a larger self selection kind of mechanism that you will give them the spectrum they'll choose and they'll gravitate or they'll consume what they prefer to consume absolutely so you're not sending them down a spiral of an echo chamber that exactly. typically social media would do because a pure algorithm driven approach would typically end up maximizing exactly. for this simple engagement and that exactly. automatically will happen with perhaps not the most editorially valid kind of exactly. approach so, and it's it's also about creating value for the users mm-hmm. you and engagement is not necessarily value sure. value has to be created it has to be measured how do you measure that so one of the ways to yeah. measure the value was the next phase which is conversion phase okay. in the conversion conversion stage mm, we created uh, uh, some of these engagements levels so we called it uh, a1 to e16 engagement levels Uh, okay. you can imagine it as a staircase so a user would consume x number of uh, one of the most important metric during this phase and i'll get a little technical on sure. this was active reading days 
Okay. Uh, we did not we did not feel that a user who's reading more stories is more engaged or loyal audience okay. or who's spending more time is more engaged. But a user is consi- consistently reading stories every single day is more loyal. So a okay. user who's coming, uh, reading the news five days in a week is more important and loyal and more likely to convert than a user who comes two times a week but read 10 to- stories of Got it. stories. So, I mean, consistency of engagement is like more important than depth of engagement. Absolutely. Depth, okay. Absolutely. So these E1 to E16 engagement levels where, uh, let's say if a user would read, uh, would come on, uh, consume content three days a week, then they have an X conversion rate. Okay. The second level of engagement was if rather than, let's say two, uh, if reading, uh, let's say coming online, two, uh, rather than two days a week, they would come online three days a week. Then mm. they have a high conversion rate. Sure. Then, and so on and so forth. Mm. And then the strategy was how to push the user from engagement one level to engagement two level. Got and it. engagement three. So all the intervention that we do, which is pushing the user from a low engagement to a high engagement, would improve the conversion rate, which would in order uh, improve the revenue. In terms of the intelligence around making sure that this is E1 to E2 and E3 is a slightly linearish movement then? Something similar, yes. Yeah, because then that would automatically mean that you'll not give this guy this and you will kind of make sure that this is in a very sharply focused fashion going through a specific journey that you've defined. Uh, Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. So this is, uh, you know, the learnings from Inkle where you're talking about activation is a path where uh, getting him this higher level of engagement would automatically mean better conversion downstream and that's all of this focus ends up going in the same direction. Yes. And that's where consumer revenue from subscription ends up being the only piece, which means so I can see where this whole pay for content will automatically get you a better consumer experience over a, exactly. at a business strategy level as well. Exactly. Exactly. And, and then we start asking, okay, if you have to push the engagement levels, if you have to push the user from engagement one to engagement two, we need to understand what the user is coming sure. and why are they at engagement one and why not at engagement hmm. 14? What are they missing in the experience and what we can do? And these are the values that we use to create and optimize for. And would this be predominantly content or would this be other components within the product experience which could get better? It would be a mix of product plus content. Mm -hmm. So from a product standpoint, you would ask, uh, is a user more interested in reading news via newsletter or via push notification or they open the app automatically every single morning at a fixed time? Sure. So based on those learnings, you optimize their experience. Mm. If a user is reading news on via newsletters, you don't want to push them uh, to the app and make sure that they come into the app. Sure. So that you don't want to enforce but then something. This is where segmentation would come in because people would have different preferences, and you let them be with their preferences as long as they're engaging with content across whatever That's platform. They for the users who prefer news or via newsletters, we started a news uh, a new newsletter, which okay. is Evening Wrap. So okay. towards the evening, 6 p.m., we send them what were yeah. some of the key stories, uh, top 10 stories of the mm. day. And then we had um, a weekly wrap, which is on Saturday, we would send a summary of all the things which happen in the world, which should, uh, which matter. Simple. In some sense, would this be algorithm driven? Will there be like the choice of top 10 stories from the world be cognizant of who this user is, what his preferences are? Because otherwise it's going to be quite broad, right? Given that you're an aggregator platform across a lot of media houses, the number of headlines you would have available in a week would be like hundreds. So how does the curation of which headlines would go to home happen? This is, uh, uh, so curation is one layer where Inkle added value to the overall okay. ecosystem. Um, so there are more than 100,000 stories which used to come in every single day. Sure. And the editors used to curate top, uh, top 10 to top 20 stories that the users need to know per country. Okay. So top 10 would be different wow. for Singapore, top 10 would be different for Australia mm. and India. And they would push it in the morning edition and in the weekly wrap for that particular country. What sure. are the stories that? So this is an editorial-driven kind of an approach predominantly. Absolutely, the curation was was where we created the maximum value for the user and was editorially driven. But country level, it's still one uh, let's say curated outcome. And I'm wondering, in terms of the content genres and preferences within that, there could still be many. Absolutely, this is where the uh, nuances come into the picture and the experience of the editors. Um, I think uh, our editor was, I would say, one of the most intelligent person I've come across. And uh, he never, uh, he had a near photographic memory. So he used to remember everything which happened in a day and he always remembered. So Mm. he could curate and he he could understand what are the topics which matter to Australian audiences versus India audience. For example, in India, Bollywood and cricket is really big. In Australia, politics is very big. 
and in us us is an inward looking country hmm. they care less about what is happening in rest of the hmm. world and more about what is happening in us most of the well, countries are other way around you would finally in some sense this boils down to a lot of the editorial judgment being involved in our world when we obsess over data driven approaches it kind of becomes hard to scale this because if you have a guy with photographic memory you can do this but it's not something most people would be blessed with in which case you'll let algorithms do some of the work in which case you'll probably start using uh, whatever the top consumed content in that country is like those are and put them in the evening wrap in, in some sense it's also a slightly lazier way of doing this because then nobody's to think about it but you know uh, you seem to have a lot of these components that you picked up uh, during inkle and you've seen success from and uh, i would imagine some of them would be straight away applicable to your life at outlook as well you know you pick up your priorities from that lens you get these are three things which you believe are straight away applicable to pretty much any media house and i think it's my priority as well see one of them would be uh, the double triple a modified double triple sure. framework which can be applied to any media house so once you start uh, once you look at the entire journey and you start asking the right questions at sure. every phase of the journey a lot of things become clear sure. and you can start optimizing you call it a funnel and then you ultimately have different stages of leakage and you'll try to optimize for those absolutely one example of that uh, optimization is what everyone is now focusing on is retention okay. now you are quiet customers lot of subscribers sure. how do you retain them one of uh, one of the key insight which i explored back then at inkle and which is applicable in every country and uh, this is different for different products mm-hmm. but in news we realize that uh 120 days is the time period which a user back then used to take to evaluate if this new subscription is useful for me or not 120 days to decide about the subscription okay So in one twenty days they'll evaluate, and if they don't find it valuable, they would churn. Okay. So after one, uh, after around one twenty days, there would be a sharp churn, which would be happening. And this is a monthly subscription you're talking about. Monthly subscription. So how do you fix this? So in during those first one twenty days, you are closely focusing on the engagement levels, sure. and you are asking is the user getting the value that they are seeking? Mm-hmm. Uh, are they happy with the experience? And after one twenty days, you know that they are convinced this product is for them. Around. and they would stay for the long term so in, you know in some sense uh, in the world of e-commerce what we call that there is the glue frequency wherein if a consumer has bought from you four times mm-hmm. chances that he'll repeat for a fifth order is about 80% in plus mm-hmm. and what you seem to be, and you know a lot of acquisition ends up finishing the game at the first transaction itself mm-hmm. but the first to second order rate ends up being sometimes as bad as 30% right mm-hmm. so 70% of the users who made the first order never made the second order right so i'm trying to find a parallel in the media ecosystem where you're saying that okay If the guy has consumed to this level he'll probably continue consuming but not to get to his point which in your case was 120 days you have to do a certain amount of engagement effort so the user remains active and engaged absolutely and in terms of the kind of uh, automation slash data driven plays or engagement plays that'll get involved in the zero 120 day cycle what would those pieces look like uh some of the engagement pieces during 120 days would be active rating days so uh, active rating days uh, hmm. i believe is more important than average time spent on number of stories consumed and you would influence this by engagement tools like push notifications or whatever understanding what is the journey a user takes and uh, simplifying that journey for the user if they uh, if they are more comfortable reading news through newsletter then push more of newsletters sure. customize those newsletters hmm. personalize those newsletters would, would the or the newsletter list. open be counted towards a daily news read yes okay so uh, yes. you're not obsessed with getting him to the platform and then consuming that it's okay if he's read it on this place as well and from a next next series of intervention and there'll be things that will work and there'll be things that will still not work and you will have to find a plan b and a plan c and a plan d to get the user to engage before the 120 days are over how does that look like so uh, there would be metrics like uh, d1 r1 d2 r2 so how many stories a user read on day 1 how many user stories a user read on day 2 and then understanding what content is preferred by the user or what content topic is preferred by the user and then uh, i believe uh, if you go a step ahead and if you're implementing data science then you dive deep into the content sure. and create a lot of tags and understand what are the different kind of content pieces different angles different topics that mm. the user is interested in reading and make it more easily accessible imagine sure. imagine how difficult it is for the user user is coming to a website and he is finished reading the story which he came for now there are probably 50000 more stories how does he decide which story to read or which story not to read you know what's very interesting is i find a very simple parallel in the recommendation ecosystem wherein if you like this you will also like this 
but the fun fact with your world is the content is a uh, lot of fresh pieces which means every day there is like 100000 pieces of content getting added to the repository and to find a recommendation algorithm that can deal with the fresh content without much history to that specific piece you know because what's published 1 minute ago has no history yeah. so but the only way you can probably do it is the all the attributes you can attach Absolutely. to the tagging like you said and the tags probably still have history Absolutely. and then you can kind of find a way to resonate but in very simple terms on the one side you spoke about the whole editorial approach of choosing the top 10 countries uh, stories and then picking them out but the moment you start doing this in terms of d1 r1 and d2 r2 in terms of the kind of content the users consume this would automatically lead to a lot of personalization or is there uh, something i'm missing here it would improve the personalization definitely and for this uh, a marketing automation tool is definitely required sure. cdps are required to uh, collect and store that data and uh, build on that intelligence so which is kind of where the digital transformation journey becomes uh, almost critical that okay it might not be a deterrent to growth today but if you are built for the future this is pretty much the investment that you'll have to make from that Absolutely. lens this is where you go from strategy to technology and to uh, then product marketing product marketing and you say product marketing from a lens of uh, the people are doing the user engagement pieces across consumer interfaces absolutely so once you build a strategy for the entire piece how to let's say grow subscription or affiliate revenue then you go into technology what are the different pieces of tech that you require sure. what technologies do you require to implement and uh, which is creating value mm. and then you go into product marketing where you create these journeys and start optimizing each optimizing. of the stages constantly in some sense you've actually been there seen that done that a lot of it at previous roles that you've seemed to have done and now it's the canvas available at outlook to kind of play this out and see business is coming in and from what i hear the early results seem to be quite promising anyway absolutely like overall as a group uh, uh, in the last 2 years or so we have more than doubled our revenue sure. and we are growing very fast and this is primarily in the back of digital initiative uh, everything together but a lot of focus is there on digital i can imagine so you know the uh, the media ecosystem as well as generally legacy companies which have been around for a long time are not known to be the tech savviest of the lot right they take their time to build up a view and the need to change is not as urgently felt sometimes as some of the digital native ecosystems so in that world now you've come in from an intel kind of background and with certain amount of mandate on revenue and growth uh and you're prepared to make the investments in the cdps and the technology stacks and all and you have a very clear business case around it help us understand how do you navigate the business case and the roi play because it can't be one last project will go on for multiple years and eventually start to deliver value you might want to start doing something which shows outcomes sooner mm-hmm. how do you navigate this uh, from org and change management point of view so outlook as an organization is focusing a lot on technology and uh, as part of digital transformation technology is the most important piece we have uh, we expanding rapidly expanding our technology team our data teams and all the other okay support teams and our next step is to uh, let's say when we are focusing on bringing more uh, more data intelligence bringing more technological advance uh, let's say more tools which is able to understand the user journey which is able to build user segments and uh, user intelligence uh, one of the use case is uh, uh, in order to connect the tool or the capability with roi is to create a business model before we okay. start and understand that business model really well at what point uh, are we going to do a uh, reach break even and how you're going to create more value and more revenue okay. so let's say <clears throat> uh one of the use case would be for recommendation engine mm. now when we uh, now there's uh, th- right now I'm focusing on how to improve the recommendation if a user is coming to my website is the next story which is served to the user relevant or not relevant how relevant it is and how to improve that relevance So if I bring a new technology uh, to improve the relevance then I would measure what are the incremental page views sure. uh, what uh, is what kind of repeat visitors am I getting because of that and then see what is the impact on revenue and sure. then say okay is the technology call justified or not the incremental value is being getting justified and you know a while of course this is a recommendation piece but when you look at stuff like a cdp where the data needs to be unified to start with mm-hmm. because all the different properties are there the amount of time it takes to make something like that happen and translate that into value can sometimes be a little longer than what your teams are prepared for mm-hmm. because i don't know the patience levels are there the conviction seems to be in place because you're getting all these people together mm-hmm. there's already a upfront clarity that this needs to happen there's no two ways about it mm-hmm. but when it comes to some of these investments it becomes a topic where you want to see results before you put in a lot more capital there mm-hmm. right so how do you navigate that piece so i think that's the way we take one step at a time uh when we are implementing uh, let's say exploring a cdp 
then we uh, we are very clear about what is the value we'll get from CDP sure. and at what phase. If it is a very long phase, uh, I mean, if it takes several months to realize that value, we would probably start with a POC sure. and see what is the uplift in conversion rate, mm. what is the uplift in subscribers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and do a projection. For yeah. the next six months, based on the data that we have for that one to two months. And in some sense, would you also, let's say, articulate the value delivery outcome framework? Okay, these are 20 things we want to do with the CDP and that's how that will translate into incremental business value. Because what tends to happen a lot of times is people go into technology shopping mode without necessarily knowing what they plan to do with it. So in your Absolutely. world, how does that balance out? So for us and especially for uh, uh, for Outlook, uh, we thoroughly evaluate every step that we're doing. We have a proper strategy in place. We have a proper, uh, a very thoughtful business model around it. And every new initiative is properly scrutinized. Are we going to deliver mm. value or not? So uh, let's say with the CDP, we've been having that conversation for a while now internally. And we're trying to understand how are we going to leverage a CTP? Sure. And if in, if we if we require a CTP or not, mm. do we need to build it in-house? Do we need sure. to buy it from somewhere else, et cetera, et cetera? So some of the use case of CDPs is one, we'll get uh, better segmentation. We can collect more uh, at better first-party data about the audience and improve our uh, CPMs. Sure. Second would be to build a case for subscriptions where if we understand our users better, we can improve our conversion rate. Sure. Then the third use case is affiliate. How mm. uh, if we have more intelligence about what products and services users are interested in, we can improve our recommendation and improve the value that we are creating for the users. Would you consider breaking these three things down into three phases to say, that, okay, I'm going to apply CDP, whatever that cost structure is, let's break it down into three pieces as well and say, okay, okay let's do one CROI, then do two and CROI, and then do three CROI. Or, because, you know, in some sense, the ticket sizes of these things can sometimes be a bit of a question mark to say, okay, this is asking for a lot of investment. Let me break this down, store some ROI and then go incremental. Absolutely. We would always take one step at a time hmm. and see if you're getting the value or not. Fair enough. So from all, you know, that says something about the technology lens. While, of course, it's a mandate and conviction to go towards that direction, you will take carefully measured steps and be mindful of ROI at all points of time. And, you know, the other lens that applies on the one side, you have this whole technology-driven play. On the other side, you've had a editorially driven content-led organization where there's a strong philosophy of how to approach some of these things, right? You also took a stance around not making more eco chambers, but actually having a more balanced view. But you said that for paid users and not necessarily for free users. So in the evolved ecosystem, in your impression, how does this balance between editorial play versus algorithmic play play out? Um, so um, for, for media organization, especially Outlook, <clears throat> There's a layer of editorial curation that we have. For example, a user would discover a story on Google, come to our website, read that content. And then the next uh, content which is recommended to the user is either can be driven by algorithm or it can be uh, driven by the editor or there can be a blended approach. Sure. So we are focusing on the blended approach okay. where we do not leave it to the algorithm entirely. Sure. And the editors and the journalists have control over what story mm. that they're reading or what story we are recommending to them. And I feel that's a very important step. We can't leave everything to the algorithm. And it's not scalable if, let's say, editors are controlling everything yep. on their own. Even one person or one team is uh, able to uh, curate for the entire audience. So, that, you know, you made a statement around the blend in terms of editorial versus algorithmic, which is fairly a right thing to say or right thing to do as well. But it's a lot more complicated than it sounds, right? So, mm -hmm. can you please double click on that for us? So there's some examples of that, how that blended approach is uh, is uh, made into a reality to uh, improve the experience. One example is New York Times, which I like. With New York Times, they um, they have their homepage. And in the homepage, the above the fold is curated by the editors and below the fold is curated by the algorithm. Okay. So you have a mix of... So real of estate blend. I mean, real estate split is one way of doing this. Absolutely. Okay. The other is, when I was working at MediaCorp in Singapore, they were very clear about this strategy. They had five audiences they care about. And when a user is coming to the website, more often than not, their, uh, their, their AI engines would identify the user, which is one of these five audiences, and serve the relevant content. And when serving the relevant content, they had, um, uh, they had, they had built the technology in-house. So MediaCorp being a large organization, they had enough budget to spend uh, more than a million dollars to build that product, which is specifically for MediaCorp, which is specifically for Channel News Asia, 
uh, and other uh, products that they. Want. So, but you're saying that this is still algorithm driven, right? So, the question of blending the editorial approach with the algorithmic approach, you're saying the uh, MediaCorp built actually a tool to make that happen. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes. So, for example, if an editor uh, before curating that content has this information that the user is which of these five audiences the user belong to, okay. and then curate the content for that. Or create a okay. sandbox that these are the topics which I feel is relevant for a user coming from India. This is uh, these are the topics which are relevant for a PMEB. PMEB is our professors, managers, etc., etc., entrepreneurs. So, in some sense, the recommendation engine has a weightage coming in from the editor. Is what in effect this would mean? Yes, and giving more data to the editors to take that decision to curate it better. Very fascinating. So that's two examples now. Anything else that you think that seems nuanced enough as a Possible playbook for your world? Um, something that I feel would be more readily available in the coming years is rather than building these systems in house, mm -hmm. if these systems are available, uh, which SAS, which is yeah. yeah, which is plug and play, which has these nuances in built in it, sure, uh, which can be easily customized by the publishers and with um, uh, conversational AI uh, uh, taking center stage, I believe very soon we'll have mm. scalable and well baked products which can just be plug and play and help create more value for everyone in the ecosystem. Fair You know what's fun is that I see a very interesting panel in the fashion e-commerce ecosystem because when they publish their email newsletters, they have a similar challenge of how far do we let algorithms determine how the content should look like and how far mm -hmm. should the brand guidelines as well as the, uh, you know, the fashion statement and the position you want to make should determine how the mail looks. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I uh, would probably quote this New York Times example in terms of real estate flips to some of those guys that, okay, have your first half like this, have your second half like this. That's excellent, yeah. You know, you used a concept in between your part around CDP where the customer segmentation with first-party data, getting richer is of value from a CPM lens. Could you double-click on this a little bit? Um, so, <clears throat> at the moment, um, the data that is collected about the user is demographic data or location data. Uh, and uh, with CDPs, we can collect more contextual information mm -hmm what topics they are interested in, uh, we can uh, look into, collect more, uh, uh, have a deeper understanding about what products and services they are buying by sure. nudging the user, a different point in the user journey to understand what are the user profiles, what income groups they have, etc, etc. And these require intervention in the user journey. So we first sure. need to un uniquely un un identify a user across right. different sessions and then nudge the user to give more and more information or uh, our systems have to be more intelligent to collect as much information as possible to improve the user journey at the same time create more value for the user. So in some sense this would mean that uh, some amount of explicit questions being asked to the users and some amount of implicit interpretation of what the users already told you to create a deeper user profile and would this automatically mean better targeting abilities for the advertisers and hence higher CPMs? Is that the lens? Absolutely. Sure. So from a media publication lens of course the CPMs is, since you said have either stagnated or come down, the path to, let's say, taking them back to a higher number or taking them to a newer number that's still possible will end up through better targeting and better segmentation, which is where a CDP is your, let's say, path to get there. It is absolutely crucial. So we have to, every organization has to collect first-party data, enrich that first-party data in order to create more value for the advertisers, for the customers and everyone in the ecosystem. Very cool, Udit. So, well, 2x in two years and I guess 3x in the next two years is the ambition for the Outlook Group. <laughs> It is very aggressive and we will achieve it. All the best with that. Thank, Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.